the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Another five-minute mystery. An anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert. Mmm, best lemon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. Oh, really? I wish my wife could do as well. Hey, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, dear, is my cooking that bad? Sam, your head is practically in your plate. I guess he's fallen asleep, everyone. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Sam, it's dreadful. I'd better shake him. Sam, Sam! Great guns, he's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker of the Homicide Division, and this is one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Hmm. Might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Hmm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. You mind telling me what happened? I guess not. I'm so shocked. I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you serve for dinner. Well, uh... We had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom. And then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, and I served him coffee. But I don't see how this could mean anything. Just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes. Yes, he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I found he's had a heart attack. Yeah, that'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief. Can't say as I do. Neither do I. Let's look in this kitchen. An orderly person, isn't she? Stacked dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Ah, look. Look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Black? Let me see it. The only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or the perfect murder. But this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown... Yes, Sergeant Barker. I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. Uh, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. 
You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yeah, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder. But she forgot to wash one spoon. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Sean Cantwell, Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. We hope you've enjoyed this mini-mystery. A little mystery of our own from the uh, Tom Sumner Program studio players to kick off the third half of our three-hour tour today known as the Tom Sumner Program and a great way to uh, set the mood, I think, for our uh, guest coming up in just a couple of minutes. Karen Slaughter is a uh, best-selling author who has just released her 20th thriller novel, the uh, Silent Wife. And we're going to talk uh, to Karen about writing and about uh, her new book uh, coming up in, in just a minute or so. And uh, thankfully, she is the one out of three scheduled guests that actually came through. Although in the first hour, we did have a uh, wonderful substitute from an interview I did earlier this morning with tech expert Andrea Smith uh, as a make good for uh, Jan Eliasberg. Um, but then uh, in the second hour, I was supposed to talk with uh, Sean Lansing, and that just never connected up. So we pulled from the uh, archive a uh, fairly recent interview with Gordon Jovna from the uh, Uncle John Bathroom series. But uh, for the third hour, we're going to stay right on track with what we had originally scheduled. We have uh, best-selling author Karen Slaughter coming up in uh, just a moment or so. And... Uh, it's it's a, a fun conversation. So it's always fun when she's when she's on the show. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned, and uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Karen Slaughter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is exciting. My guest this hour has been on the show before, but it's been a while. She is one of the world's most popular and acclaimed storytellers with uh, New York Times best-selling novels like Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, Pieces of Her, and The Last Widow. She has a new book, that her 20th, actually, uh, called The Silent Wife. And uh, it, it uh, has the return of Will Trent. And we're going to hear about that more. And if you're familiar with Will Trent, you know, of course, my guest is Karen Slaughter. Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I mentioned it's been a while and there's a lot going on, so we'll probably play catch up a little bit. But um, 
is is bringing Will Trent back kind of um, uh, like communing with old friends? It is. And, you know, it's it's kind of like old home week, as we say in the South, to be back <laughs> with him and and telling the stories. And I particularly love this novel because I got to bring back a character from the first series I wrote many years ago, Jeffrey Tolliver. You know, he's investigated a case eight years prior to the one Will finds himself in the middle of. And he's a cop, Will's a cop, and Jeffrey also happens to be the ex-husband of uh, Will's current love interest, Sarah Linton. So it's a very <laughs> messy time for him. And there's also a brutal killer. You know, the, the, the thing is, it starts out, Will's going to a prison uh, to investigate a murder there. And this inmate says, hey, I'm not, in, I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. And Will thinks, well, you know, everybody says that. You don't often meet people in prison saying, I did it. You should totally have me in prison. Uh, so he starts talking to this guy, and he looks into the case, and he realizes two things very quickly. One is the original investigator was Jeffrey Tolliver, and two is Jeffrey Tolliver may have gotten the wrong guy. And if he got the wrong guy, that means someone else is out there brutally attacking women, and Will has to stop him. Yeah, because these two cases are uh, connected by M.O. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so the guy in jail could, guy. and the guy yeah. in prison couldn't have done the second one. Exactly. So Will is thinking: Is this a copycat? Does the guy in prison have someone helping him on the outside, or is it really just someone who's been doing this all along, and this guy got framed for it? Now, this is a little little bit of a sidebar to our conversation about your new book, but um, I, I was reading that Will Trent and Jack Reacher crossed paths. How did that happen? Well, you know, Lee Child, <laughs> who's the creator of Jack Reacher, is a good friend of mine. We kind of started at the same time in this business, and I'm going to tell you something, and, and it's going to be hard to believe because he writes such tough books, but Lee is one of the most wonderful men I know. He's just a great guy and such a good friend, and we both really enjoy each other's work. And we had talked about getting to Trent and Jack Reacher in a story for many years, but we never found the right story and a time when we could do it. And last year we found both of those things. I, like Lee, I tour a lot of military bases. They have great libraries on those bases and great bookstores. And I was at Fort Knox, and I thought, I've got an idea. So I immediately told Lee, and Lee said, that's great, let's do it. And we wrote this short story called Cleaning the Gold. It takes place at Fort Knox. It has Jack Reacher and Will Trent. And we just had a blast doing it. And from what I've been reading and getting the feedback I've been getting. A lot of our fans have enjoyed it, so I'm, I'm really happy we got to do that. That's great. And you mentioned libraries, and, and uh, it seems appropriate to bring up the fact that Karen is the uh, founder of the Save the Libraries Project, a nonprofit organization established to support libraries and library programming. Um, is is that a self interest because you're a novelist, or um, <laughs> or or what 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 is at the heart of your interest in libraries? Well, I guess it is a little self-interest because libraries buy a lot of books uh, and they grow new readers every year. 
but for me, it's because I loved libraries as a child. I, my family will be the first to tell you they are not a bunch of readers, and I was the unusual one. And my dad made sure I was at the library every weekend. So every Saturday I got to spend the whole day in the library, and they let me read whatever I wanted. And the librarians were such wonderful people. They gave me books that I cherished, like Encyclopedia Brown or Nancy Drew or Patricia Highsmith or Daphne du Maurier. I mean, they really fostered my interest in reading in a way that I would not have had otherwise. And so as I became more successful, I thought, you know what, I really need to thank them in a way. And to date, Save the Libraries, my charitable foundation, has raised and given away half a million dollars. Um, We plan to keep doing that, you know, especially with this pandemic. Libraries have so stepped up. I don't know about where you are, but you know they've provided hot spots so kids can be near the library or even near a bus i mean they've created mobile hot spots so kids can get online if they don't have access to the internet at home they've checked out macbooks and uh chromecast books and all these other uh computers so that kids have the ability to get online with something other than their parents phone you know not everybody has an ipad or a computer at home let alone the internet and libraries have just stepped into it and said we can do this we're going to take care of these kids and we need to make sure when we get back from this that we still take care of libraries because we're going to need them more than ever you know i'm happy to see libraries stepping up and and making the internet uh, available to so many people for whom it's not um but I, I have to admit, when I saw him starting to computerize, I, I, there was a little bit of melancholy for me because I like going through the shelves and you know, pulling out dusty old books. <laughs> I'm with you. I really like that, too. And, you know, they still have that. A lot of people, you know, you look at these e-readers and things and, a lot of people can't afford an e-reader, or if they can, they don't have a credit card. So how are they going to get a book? So some libraries will let you check out an e-reader. They let you virtually check out books. But those of us who are old school and like to hold the actual book and turn the pages, I mean, that's still there. <laughs> so I'm real, I'm, I think it's great how they've, they've adapted and responded to technology, but still taking care of dinosaurs like us. <laughs> I agree. Um you mentioned the pandemic, and it's impossible to to have a conversation these days without talking a little bit about the pandemic and how it's influenced all parts of our lives. But what is it like launching a book during this pandemic? It's you know it's really different, um, and most of it, as with everybody, is virtual. Uh, one thing is, I'm published in a lot of different countries, and my first edition came out a month and a half ago in the Netherlands and in Belgium, the Flemish part of Belgium. So I've been doing Zooms and virtual events in bookstores all over the world. I did one in Australia. I did one in uh, uh, f- from Copenhagen with a friend of mine who's a wonderful Danish writer. Uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff online that I wouldn't normally do. So it's in in some ways a great opportunity, but also, I don't know about you, I'm kind of sick of staring at my computer screen. It sure would be nice to go out to an actual bookstore and see people again. And and hopefully that won't be too far off, but I suspect it's yeah. going to be around a little while longer. Um, 
More with New York Times best-selling author Karen Slaughter straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but we were, I've been married more, more than once. In fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra- tragic death. My first wife died from eating po- poison mushrooms. And my second wife died from a fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushrooms. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with New York Times best-selling author Karen Slaughter straight ahead. Has that um, created a situation where maybe you're um, inspired to write a little more while being on lockdown or whatever you want, however you want to refer to it, stay-at-home orders or? Well, I thought it would, but then a lot of us thought we were going to exercise more and eat healthy during this, and I don't know about you, but every day I just think, how much more bread can I shove in my mouth? Yeah, I know. I've put uh, on a few COVID pounds myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm a very much a homebody, and I usually write uh, most of my books in the latter half of the year, so... I have a cabin up in the North Georgia mountains, and I go there, and I do much of what we've already been doing as far as quarantining, where I just stay in that house, I get up, I write, I keep writing, I go to bed, I get up the next day and do the same. And that's been how I've done it for over 20 years. So I'm I'm particularly suited for this kind of lifestyle. Um, But, you know, I'm also very... I'm always grateful that I get to write books for a living because not many people get to do what they want for a living. But I'm especially grateful now because I have so many friends who are essential workers and who are out in the middle of it and don't have a choice. Uh, And so I'm grateful for them. And I just think in the scheme of things, not being able to go to my favorite restaurant for lunch is such a small sacrifice if it keeps people healthy. Oh, agreed, agreed. I, You know, I can't believe, I don't know how many times you've been on the show, Karen. I think this is the third. It's at least the third. Um, and I never realized that you had a cabin, that you go off to a cabin, because I, I'm I'm forever asking writers about the writing process. And... Um, and and that's the example I use. Are you one of those writers that goes off to a cabin in the Northeast and, you know, just vanishes and comes out, you know, three months or six months later with a book? <laughs> you got me. That's me all over. Um, I do that. I've always done that. I'm not one of these writers who can sit in a coffee shop because I just stop writing and stare at everybody or I get distracted by the music or a noise. I have to have complete isolation and just have me and the story and nothing else. I don't even take my cats with me uh, because, frankly, cats can be jerks when you're trying to concentrate. (laughs) And I just, I love that. I love being immersed in the story. It's what I look forward to most during the year is those moments when it's just me and my computer. Do you binge write when you do that? Yeah, absolutely, and it's really stupid to do it that way. For people who are would-be writers out there, don't do it my way. Do it the normal way where you write X number of hours every day. This It just takes a toll on your body. And uh, I remember last year I got out of my chair after writing for 12 hours, and I thought, oh, my God, my back did not like that. Uh, so I'm starting to feel the effects of sitting that long. Oh, that's funny. I talked to a writer the other day who um, goes to different coffee shops depending on what book they're working on. Wow. Yeah, when you mentioned, you know, I can't write in a coffee shop, and that's the first time I've ever heard of that where somebody had a different location for 
different projects. <laughs> I, I th- you know, I bet it sets the tone, though. You know, for me, I guess with, since I write about brutal murders, it would make me want to kill somebody if they were making noise while I was trying to write. That might be good for me. Get me jump-started. Oh, that's funny. Um, and, and the idea of writing about brutal murders, and we'll get back to um, this uh, this new book, um, The Silent Wife. Um, I, I was reading something about you uh, earlier as I was getting ready to uh, talk with you today that that talks about um, how you really um, like to include empowered women um, and, and that you have strong... Th- I'm looking for the phrase and I just found it. Uh, strong themes of female empowerment. And yet uh, one of your most popular uh, characters... Is Will Trent? Um, why why a, a male in the lead role and not a female? Well, you know, I always think of it as the the Will and Sarah books, um, but yeah, true. and it depends on the country because in a lot of European uh, territories they call it the Sarah Linton series. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, Will is a great guy. He was raised predominantly by women. He's like a lot of guys of my generation who were raised by single mothers and saw firsthand how difficult life can be for women um, financially, in the workplace, and, you know, all the ways we're familiar with. And it, when I started writing, it seemed like a normal thing for me to write about strong women because that's what I saw in my life. And we have a joke in the South that, women down here are like swans you know they look beautiful gliding across the water but you can't see underneath they're paddling like crazy uh, <laughs> right. so that's the sort of woman that i am more familiar with actually so i i like to write about that and and i think it's important to write about that especially in crime fiction because let's be honest you know, for a long part of crime fiction's history women were just there to faint or you know, tempt the man and end up being murdered for it or... Break a heel running away from the killer. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, God, if you want to die very quickly and stupidly, be the female in a a crime novel from the 80s. So, you know, I I didn't like that. I got tired of that. I wanted to read stories where... I wanted what men have, which is they read stories where men are the heroes and men do the right things and men, you know, excel. And no one says to to Lee Child, why do you write about such strong, empowered men? Uh, But because (laughs) I write about women who do that, I, I often get that query. And I think it's an important thing to talk about because women put up with a hell of a lot. Uh, and it's not easy most of the time to be a woman in this world. It can be a very, very dangerous place. And I want to write about that, and I want to write about what happens to women when they are targeted by this certain percentage of men in society who absolutely hate women, who want to punish them, who seek to denigrate them and to constantly tear them down. And it's a small group of men but they are there, and Will Trent is not of that group, and Will Trent calls out that group and says you're wrong, and I think that's why people are drawn to him, because he doesn't just stand up to the bad guys. He stands up to the guy who's a jerk, 
and the guy who makes women uncomfortable and he says you know we don't want to be that way and to me you know i think that's why a lot of women respond to him so positively is because he's a man who listens to women and who respects women and it's such a small thing but it's the most important thing especially when you're writing about violence against women is to have a guy who says this is wrong and I'm not, I may be a man, but I'm not a part of this type of man. You, um, Karen, you've done, uh, ever since you were first inspired to write crime dramas, um, you've done a lot of research about cops, about crime, detective work. Um, and, and I'm really curious, uh, based on, on what you've learned doing all that research, what you think of of the things we've been seeing, uh, the protests and so on, uh, defund the police in the wake of the George Floyd killing and others? Well, first I would say we've been defunding education and libraries for years, and nobody said, oh, God, the world's going to go to hell if we do that. I think what <laughs> we need to do is fund police departments smartly, if I can be uh, in, you know, kind of grammatically unsound about that, because we spend upwards to a billion dollars on settling violence cases where police have used excessive force. That money, we should not even be, that should not even be part of the equation. That's a billion dollars that we spend, I think, in 10 years why don't we spend that on training police, on raising the requirement, the education requirement for police officers? I say this as someone who dropped out of college, you know. <laughs> People like Will Trent in the Georgia Bureau of Investigation have to at least have a college degree. You know, when you have predominantly young men who are 17, 18 years old and they enter the police academy, I, I don't know about you, but I thought a lot differently when I was 17 and 18 than I did when I was 20, 21, uh, when I would have been graduating from college, as my father would have, would constantly remind you, that money was thrown down the drain. But, you know, just having a little more maturity and a little more education, because the first two years you're a police officer, is that's when you learn to be a good cop a mediocre cop or a bad cop. It's where you pick up your bad habits. It's where you learn, you know, whether or not you want to walk that line and cross that line. And I just think we need to think about that. I think we need to think about the the unions and how they make it possible for bad cops to keep their jobs. But one thing I, I haven't seen a lot of talk about is women in policing. You know, women are about 17% of most police forces. I mean, obviously rural areas, that's not the case. But they account for less than 3% of excessive force claims. When, when women or more women are on the force, there are all kinds of studies. There are fewer claims of excessive violence. Interesting. Escalation becomes the way of the police force when women are there are more women because you know a lot of guys they're full of testosterone they go out on a job a call and they meet violence with violence and women don't do that because we physically are different from men we just can't you know and instead of trying to to meet violence with violence they talk they they de-escalate they calm things down and we have seen so many studies from the 1970s on, because the 1970s is when the federal government said, hey, you know, police forces, we'll give you more money 
in federal funding if you actively try to make your police force look like the community you serve. And so women were hired, minorities were hired, and it really changed things. Um, and I think we need to look at that again. I think we need to really consider who we're allowing to have this unlimited, in many ways, power. And that's, a, that's an important thing to think about, is who are we giving this amount of power to? A police officer can make or break a person, as we've seen over and over again. And, you know, I, I understand defunding, but I think we need smart funding. Oh, that makes sense. And I think that's what that means for a lot of people when they hear that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now, not many people don't want to live without police departments. That's just crazy. Right, right, exactly. Now, I had on my list, Karen, to, to talk about a couple things, and I want to make sure we get them both in while while I have you uh, for this time. Um, one is your stories being adapted for film and television, and the other is mini golf. Which one do you want to get into? <laughs> Save golf for the end as the punchline. Um, yeah, my book, Pieces of Her, which I, I think we had a great conversation about the last yeah. time I was on your show, it's being adapted uh, by Netflix, and they've been absolutely wonderful. I, I've had a lot of author friends who had bad experiences with adaptations, but Netflix has been incredibly generous and very thoughtful in, in what they've provided and, and their notes they've given. Uh, but we were three days away from starting principal photography when the pandemic shut oh. everything down. Yeah. And now they're looking at how to safely start things back up. They're looking at filming in Australia. You know, Australia has a very divided government, but they can all agree the pandemic is bad and they, they're trying to get a handle on it and they've got a lot of good things in place. But more importantly, Tony Collette is from Australia and she's going to star in the show. So I hope that they are going to start filming in Australia in September. Uh, which means that we might be able to have something streaming by the end of next year. So fingers crossed they can do that. But, of course, you know, we have to take everybody's safety into uh, consideration before we can do that. And and did I, I see something about uh, uh, Will Trent being in the works for a television series? It, yeah, it is. It's in development, which kind of means it could happen or it could not happen. Right, um, right. They're working on the pilot script right now, uh, and uh, I think that the script is due in January. Of course, writers are home right now, so all they're doing is writing uh, and eating bread, being honest. Uh, so hopefully that's something that will happen. We'll see. And... Uh now this this isn't the last thing we're gonna we're gonna touch on, but but I am really curious about uh, how you ended up on the mini golf game show. Um, is mini golf a thing? I mean, have you been a fan of of mini golf for a long time? Well, I love mini golf. I'm, I'm a horrible golfer. I mean, I know a lot of people say that, but I really mean it. I don't play golf. Golf plays me. Uh, but I do love mini golf. It's something that when I was a kid, my dad and I would always play when we'd go to Florida for vacation. I'm extremely pasty, so I couldn't stay on the beach more than 10 minutes. And he would take me out of the condo where I just sat and read all day, and he would say, you've got to get some sun and exercise, and we'd go play mini golf together. 
Um, but Holy Moly is an extreme mini golf show, so you're not just uh, putting through a windmill. You have to run through the windmill and try not to get whacked in the head and thrown into icy <laughs> cold water. Um, and I watched it last year. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious, and I mentioned to my, my publicist that I'd love to be on the show, and uh, that was the biggest mistake I made right there. She's like, okay, we'll go, we're going to make this happen. You said and it out loud, didn't you? I, I, yeah. I <laughs> but in February, I was two hours outside of Los Angeles in the middle of the night, freezing cold, and uh, on top of a gopher, a mechanical gopher that bucked me. <laughs> down a mountain, a bouncy mountain, about 20 feet. Then I had to get up, grab my putter, putt past three gophers jumping out of the golf course and try to get to the hole. Uh, and it was crazy. I, I don't know. I think I just lost my, my dang mind being on that show. It was a lot of fun, but I will <laughs> never do anything that crazy again. <laughs> well, now, see, now you can be introduced as uh, best-selling author and mini-golfer. <laughs> well, uh, let's hope that my books do better than my golf game. <laughs> and and speaking of that, Karen, what is next? What's coming up next uh, from Karen Slaughter? Another book. I'm working on it now. Um, I'm kind of grappling with how to incorporate the pandemic because. You know, I write about things that happen now in the moment, and right now we're in the middle of this pandemic. And, you know, I think it's important as an author to talk about what daily life is like at any given time. And so I'm kind of having to anticipate what this year or this month next year is going to look like. You know, are we going to have rapid testing that we can do at home to decide whether or not we go out? Are we going to have some kind of treatment? I mean, what is the world going to look like? So I'm, I'm trying to be a bit of a futurist and figure that out. And, of course, it's wrapped around a good murder mystery. And, and you know, those questions are really anybody's guess, because if you look back at the uh, um, Spanish flu in 1918, mm. that hung on for like two or three years. It did. And, you know, the thing about the Spanish flu, there's a wonderful book by Emma Donahue out uh, about the impact of Spanish flu in Dublin. But uh, there were some really physical um, characteristics. People's skin turned a bit blue. There was spontaneous bleeding. There was a smell that came with the Spanish flu when you were very sick. Um, and, you know, pale horse, pale rider uh, is about really the pandemic and, and the Spanish flu pandemic and how it affected people and, and the, the, just how devastating it was. So that's something that I think that is going to be with us for a while, as you said, and, and I think we're going to just have to figure out what life looks like and how we're going to move through this and try to keep people safe and be good citizens, you know, just take care of our fellow citizens. Um now you said you're you're working on a new book. Is this more with Will Trent or new characters? Is it part of a series? Is it uh, standalone? It's a standalone. I'm, the book after that, I'll be back with Will and Sarah. I came up with a really great idea while I was <laughs> writing this one, which is usually what happens. Uh, but it wasn't quite there as far as being ready to be written. So this standalone has a lawyer at the center and. You know, that's been really interesting. I've been talking to lawyers about, well, gosh, you can't go to a courtroom. You can't 
really go to a prison or a jail because they're COVID hotspots. It's really awful what's happening yeah. uh, to our inmates. I mean, say what you will about crime and punishment, but this is really devastating the inmate community, and those of us who have family members who are in prisons are very worried about them. Uh, but so I've got to figure out, you know, how am I going to have my uh, lawyer talk to her clients and what is the courtroom going to look like? You're not going to have that Perry Mason scene at the end where right. he turns around and points to someone in the galley and says, you did it. You know, it's right. a, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Well, I can't I can't wait till we can get together and talk about that one. Um, so you're you're working on this book. Does that mean you're headed to the cabin uh yeah i'm heading up there soon as as soon as i finish doing my uh tour i'm looking forward to getting up there and just tucking my head down and getting into the story and you know gosh i i as much as i love uh the silent wife and i hope people enjoy it i want them to be looking forward to this one next year too well, Karen, it's always a pleasure and uh, and a delight to talk with you, and I appreciate you spending this time with me this morning. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. That was uh, Karen Slaughter. She has a new book called The Silent Wife. It's her 20th novel. Um She's one of the world's most popular and acclaimed storytellers. She's been published in 120 countries with more than 35 million copies sold across the globe. Um, her books include uh, Grant County and Will Trent books, as well as uh, New York Times bestselling novels, Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, Pieces of Her, and The Last Widow. And uh, it's just it's just always fun to talk with her. She is tremendous and and highly acclaimed. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. 
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Say, Edgar, uh, what about that golf tournament that you and W.C. Fields were supposed to play off yesterday? Mm-hmm. Who won? Well, we, we didn't get very far, Bill. You didn't, Ed? What was the matter? Well, I should have known better than to let Charlie caddy for us, of course. <laughs> well, Edgar, do you mean there was trouble? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened, Bill. See, Charlie and I got out there first, and it was a, it was a beautiful morning. It was a great day, and a perfect day for golf, I see. And, uh... Do we have to get out of here so early, Bergen? You know, it's it's awful cold out here this time of day. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll just bet you anything Mr. Fields doesn't even show up at this time. Oh, well, now, he promised he would be here at 6.30. He did, uh, Yes, he did. Billy, my books and my bottles! <laughs> sucker for singing out that little Jane Powell would be marvelous. My voice isn't anything like her at all. No, it is, no. No. W.C. voice. You're a walking ad for black coffee, Bill. Oh, wait. (laughs) Hello, Mr. Fields. Hello. Oh, hello, my little chum. I was thinking of you only yesterday. No, you were Yes, I was cleaning out the woodshed at the time. Reminded me of you. Yeah. Mr. Fields, is that your nose or a new kind of flamethrower? Very funny, Charles. Very funny. What's this kid doing around here anyway, Edgar? Well, I'm going to be your caddy, Mr. Fields, and I'm going to keep score, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> he says, thanks. Uh, well, uh, would you rather I kept score, Bill? Well, to be perfectly frank with you, Edgar, I never trusted either one of you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... What do you mean by that, Crack? I want you to know that Bergen is just an honest man, as you are. You crook, you. Oh, no. <laughs> that tips off the whole thing. Yeah. You'd better come out of the sun, Charles, before you get unglued. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I stand in the shade of your nose? <laughs> Let's not start that now, fellas, please. Now, I'm sure that Charlie will be very fair a scorekeeper for... Uh, tell me, Charles, if I take three drives and three putts, 
What's my score? Well, that's yes, three and three. Uh, uh, that's four, Mr. Fields. Four. Oh, very good. Very good, Charles. <laughs> How do you arrive at four? Well, I'll tell you. You see, when you were putting, a quarter fell out of your pocket. You see. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> that sounds like a workable arrangement. Yes. <laughs> oh, isn't this a lovely day, Bill? Lovely. You know, the air is so intoxicating. Intoxicating. Yes. <laughs> it is, eh? Stand back and let me take a deep breath. Yes. <laughs> I want you to be quiet, Charlie. Mr. Fields is going to tee off. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, quiet, please. I shall now take my usual stance. Oh, I wouldn't do that. The ground's a little wet. Oh, no. <laughs> quiet, you termites flop house. Now, Charlie, I want you to keep quiet now. He's getting ready to drive. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Now, if you don't mind a suggestion, Bill, if you're not holding your club right, uh, bend your elbow a little more. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Telling Fields how to bend his elbow. Huh? <laughs> That's like carrying coals to Newcastle. Oh. <laughs> Charles, my little pal. Yes, Mr. Fields? Do you know the meaning of rigor mortis? <laughs> no, sir. Well, you will in a minute. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's try and avoid that sort of a thing. And, Charlie, I want you to stop it. Yes, yes. You see, you have Mr. Fields all unstrung. Oh, yeah. Somebody get me a sedative with an olive in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. Pardon me, gentlemen. Uh, could I play through? Well, we'd rather you didn't. You see, we're getting along in a minute now. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, there's no harm in asking. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bill. Hadn't we better get on with the game now? Of course, Edgar, have a take. Did I ever tell you of the time I was caddy master at the Bunk for Hyden Country Club? No. Bunk for Hyden? I didn't know he could say it. Oh, yes. That was a tough one to say, too. Yes. It was the top Mount Jungfrau in Switzerland. All right, Bill. Now, there are people waiting to play through. Oh, I have a lot, I have a lot of time left. Uh, Edgar, I hit a ball nine and three-quarter miles. It rolled into an open manhole in front of Swoven Holika's Raskella. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe I've ever heard of the place. I don't know where it is. Ah, it's with a stone throw from uh, Wolfinger J. Uncoupler's yeah, place. Yes, uh, well, I don't know where that is either. I don't know about that. Oh, you don't get around much, do you? No. <laughs> I say, old chaps, would you mind awfully? Yes, we would. Oh, sorry. Uh, by the way, Caddy, what's the score? How do I stand? I often wonder. I often <laughs> But there is no score, Bill. We haven't started playing yet. Oh, so we haven't, oh. Caddy. Uh, you'd better give me my ball out of uh, my golf bag. Yes. Is it, is, it, uh, is it in this compartment, sir? Uh, no, that's where I keep my olives. Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, th this is the first golf bag I ever saw with a faucet on it. <laughs> now, yeah. What's in there? Oh, little snake bite remedy. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, gentlemen, but I'm the president of the Greens Committee. Well, I'll take spinach. <laughs> well, just what do you want? Well, I'm afraid you're being a little too turf on the tough. I mean, too rough on the tough. Uh, I don't know what I mean. <laughs> What's the matter with that guy? Has he got DTs? <laughs> you 
see before you, gentlemen, the shattered wreck of a man, an unhappy creature who has ceased to know the joys of human existence. Ah, teetotaler, eh? (laughs) Sir, I have no sympathy for a man who is intoxicated all the time. Yeah? No. Oh, you don't, eh? No, no sympathy. You have no sympathy for him. Well, a man who's intoxicated all the time, what do you think? (laughs) Just doesn't need any sympathy, I don't think. (laughs) No, no, it was my line, I forgot it. I sure (laughs) don't. Charles, is it true that when you slide down a banister, the banister gets more splinters than you do? Why, you bugle beak, you... <laughs> Why don't you fill your nose with helium and rent it out for a barrage balloon? All right. <laughs> Listen, you animated hitching post, or I'll sick a beaver on you. You'll do no such thing, Bill. You'll not harm a hair on this boy's head. That's not the end I'm going to work on. <laughs> I'll clip you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thought it'd be fun to visit uh, with W.C. Fields and uh, Charlie McCarthy, Edgar Bergen, Don Amici on the uh, golf course in honor of uh, Karen Slaughter's uh, fascination with mini golf and uh, what we talked about during the third hour today. I want to say thanks to my guests on the show. Uh, First hour was uh, Andrea Smith, the uh, tech expert, and then in the uh, second hour, I had to pull a quick substitution. We'll try and uh, make good on that interview with um, Sean Lansing. Uh, also, the one that was scheduled for the first hour as well. We'll try and ma- get those rescheduled. But um, was able to pull an interview with uh, Gordon Javna, and those are always fun and interesting. Um, anyway, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. Tomorrow on the show, Jan uh, Worth-Nelson will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for uh, our weekly uh, roundtable. Uh, so I'll meet you back here for that. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.